What's up, everybody? This is episode four of the Commissioner Corner Podcast here on the Cruise Control Podcast Network. I am with my co-host, Brian Gardenhire, and I'm other, the other co-host, Joe Cruz, and we have a special guest on the Commissioner Corner Podcast, none other than Chris Canty, formerly of the Dallas Cowboys, New York Giants, and the Baltimore Ravens, and my brother from the BX. My brother, you how you doing, baby? You know. <laughs> how you feeling, baby? Talk to me. Uh, I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm, I'm honored. I'm blessed to be on on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, it's always great when I can jump on with the cruise missile, and you know, I'm looking forward to getting to know Brian as well. So uh, we're gonna have a good time today. No doubt. Yeah, BGM. Nah, man. It's, it's a pleasure to have you. Somebody of your caliber, somebody of your status, man. And um, like I told Joe, man, your humility and your humbleness is something that uh, is very, very uh, huge to me. Um, with, with all the accomplishments and the success that you have had, you, you really are a true staple of somebody that's super humble. And I know that that has to come from a spiritual background or, or just a, a solid foundation of your family. Um, so just, just being able to come here and talk football, talk sports, talk politics, talk life with you, um, it's an honor and it's a pleasure. So, Joe, you can take, you can take it home with the first question, man. Let's, let's, get, let's get right into hey. it. I, I listen. This is a pleasure to have you on, Chris. You know, I got mad love for you. Uh, you're a fellow Bronxite. So before we continue, I want to give a shout out to Red Bull, who supports the podcast. Yes. So shout out to Red Bull, Chris. Uh, talk to us about growing up in New York City back in the '90s. You're a product of the Bronx. You're a product of yeah. Co-op City, uh, mm-hmm. to be exact. Uh, what molded you to get into football? What molded you to be in sports, and and, and eventually get into your your career? Well, it's funny that Brian was just talking about the humility, you know, and, and you know, kind of how I present myself. And one thing that I learned growing up in the Bronx is if you don't humble yourself, the neighborhood will humble you. God will humble you. <laughs> you know, that, that's in part thanks to my faith and thanks to mm-hmm. a strong family background, but that's also based on some hard life experiences. And um, and so that's, that's something that I carry with me, man. I, I'm thankful for the Bronx, because that's the community that made me, man. There was so many people that poured into me in order for me to have the opportunity to chase after my dreams. And so when I had the opportunity to get to the NFL and become a success story, I feel like it's a success story for everybody in the Bronx, everybody in Co-op City. So, um, you know, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a great neighborhood, man. I had a great upbringing. It wasn't without its challenges. It wasn't without the turmoil in my household and, and in the neighborhood, but um, all in all, man, we always tried to look out for each other. And that was the biggest thing, like walking to and from school. And I had two older brothers that looked out for me. Both of them played ball. Right. And so I used to have to hang around after school and watch them practice. And we go to the practice field at Truman. My brother get done with football practice. Then he walk us back home, make sure that we did our homework and all that stuff. And we were cleaned up before my parents got home. Um, nice. So in a lot of ways, I feel like my oldest brother say cool was really like my dad. He was the one that was influential in raising me. And that's where, you know, I kind of fell in love with the sport of football. He was the one that put the ball in my hand, even when it came down to playing high school football down in the Carolinas. I didn't really get involved in it until he pushed me toward it. And um, then when I when he actually saw that I could play, right. he started putting together a highlight tapes for me and then pushed them out to high school, college recruiters. And... Um, and that that's that's how I got on. That's how people started looking at me. Different schools in the ACC and the SEC, and eventually I landed on 
Virginia being the right place for me. But that's how it all got started. Like him pushing me to war football and then my mom kind of stepping in and wanting me to do something constructive after school in the fall because she was tired of me coming straight home. Like I played basketball and baseball all my life growing up. So I always had something to do in the winter. and But in the falls, I kept coming home right after school and just laying around the crib. And she was like, nah, you got to get into something constructive or you're going to get in trouble. Right. Mm-hmm. So you got to play. You got <laughs> you got to get a job or I you got to play. I hear that. And I, and I was like, well, a job sounds like work. So let me try to play a sport. And I mean, when it comes to the fall, it's football. There really isn't anything else as far as, you know, what I saw back in the, the late 90s. So right. uh, that's kind of how I chose this path of football. And then once I got on the field, I fell in love with the game. So before I pass it to my partner real quick, uh, at 15 years old, you eventually decide to go to go play high school, uh, go to high school in Charlotte, North Carolina. Talk mm-hmm. about that transition, and you spoke about the Bronx and the Co-op City. You spoke about those challenges, but also those success stories that made you who you are. Talk about that transition at 15, going to North Carolina, and then pursuing uh, your, you know, your dream that you fell in love with as a young kid. Well, here's the thing, man. I had always spent every summer... Um, as, as a kid in South Carolina, that's where both of my parents are from, you know, both sets of grandparents were down there. So they used to chip us out of the city, but the summer, again, same philosophy. We don't want them hanging around in New York city with nothing to do. So let's get them out of the city. They sent me down to the Carolina. So I, I, I had some familiarity with the South, but it was, it was definitely a big transition for me. Not something that I was ready for. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went to four different high schools in four years. So it was just, it was, I didn't fit in. And so when I had the opportunity to play ball, that was what gave me my sense of normalcy. Like culturally, it wasn't a fit. Um, you know, being in predominantly white spaces really wasn't my thing. So it was just like, okay, this was what I had to hold me down. Right. Um, and so I, I don't know where I would where I would be without athletics from a social standpoint, if I didn't have that when I went down to the Carolinas. That was definitely something that was tough for me. Um, but God makes no mistakes, man, because that's where the opportunity for me to jump on a football field started. And that gave me an opportunity to get a college education, to get a college degree without having to come out of my pocket for any money. So I'm thankful for that and thankful for the opportunity to play in the NFL. Dope. So, Chris, man, you talk about, um, you know, your stellar career at Virginia, um, had a stellar college career. Um, and then in 2015, you, your dreams come true for you and you become drafted. Um, talk, talk a little bit about that process and, and talk a little bit about being, you know, I, I coach basketball. So you always talk about that 1%, that 2% that make it. Um, mm-hmm. But talk a little bit about being drafted and, and what that did for you, I'm sure, um, seeing that coming to fruition and what that also did for your family and how that changed um, your, your family's life and your life. Talk a little bit about that. All right, so when I got drafted, it wasn't it wasn't the um, the dream that I envisioned. Like when I when I thought about you know getting drafted out of college, I thought, okay, I'm gonna be a first or second round pick, and right. you know, I'm gonna have a million dollar signing bonus and all of this other stuff. But because of some injuries that I had coming out of college, you know, I, I dropped to the fourth round. I think I was the 132nd pick, wow. and there's not there's not a lot. Of, there's not a lot of publicity that comes with being a pick. But that ends up being a blessing in disguise, man, because I had a chance to be a part of a really good draft class with DeMarcus Ware and Jay Ratliff and Marion Barber and Marcus Spears. And I had a chance to play for Bill Parcells. 
And in college at Virginia, my head coach was Al Groh. So these were two coaches that worked together in the NFL, and I was stepping into a situation where I had already had experience playing the defense that they were going to ask me to play in the NFL. So I had this wealth of knowledge about how to get my job done in this specific scheme. So that gave me an advantage over pretty much every rookie in our draft class. Mm. And I, took advantage of that. I, I became a starter as a rookie in the NFL. That doesn't happen very often as a defensive lineman, especially a guy that gets drafted in the fourth round. So, again, um, you know, it's not, it's not how you uh, – it's not necessarily how you come into the league. It's just about making sure that you get an opportunity. And so even though I wasn't celebrating draft day because, you know, it, it didn't feel like that's where I should have been drafted, it still ended up being a really good opportunity, and I had to make the most of it. So, so Chris, I know you're, as we mentioned earlier, you're very humble, and, and, and if you're humble, you have humble beginnings. Uh, in, in, in Virginia, I want to go back because sometimes people forget the accolades or the, the 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 progress you was getting into before the draft in Virginia, mm-hmm. you were named second all team All ACC, yep. receiving UVA's most outstanding outstanding defensive player award, and yep. um and yep. you didn't play your junior year. You know what I'm saying? Like in high school, and 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 you had played through a lot of adversities. Yeah. Talk about the success and where you thought your you know, your career was going to propel and then these ad- adversities that hit you to make you who you are now? Well, I, let me let me first go back to when I came into college. I, when I got the scholarship to Virginia, it was huge, but not for the reasons that a lot of people think. Like a lot of kids, you know, they, they sign a scholarship to play college ball and they think, okay, in three or four years, I'm going to the league. And I was never one of those kids. Yeah. I mean, I, I was the kid that was like, okay, you know, only one or 2% make it to the league. So, you know, let me just look at this for the opportunity it is to get an education. Right. That was my thing. I wanted to make sure when I went to VA that I got my end of the bargain, which was being able to go to one of the finest universities in the country and get my college degree. Right. Because at least with that, I can use that. I can use that skill and I can monetize that for the rest of my life. So let me make sure I get that. First and foremost. Yep. And then whatever comes after that, right. that's great. Now, I got drafted into the NFL, and I was able to play 11 years in the NFL. So that was that was the icing on top of the cake. But the substance was making sure that I applied myself in the classroom so no matter what else happened, I could walk out of that college with my degree. Because guess what? In football, your next play can be your last play. Right. right. You know what I'm saying? It's nothing for you to have a career-ending injury whether it's in practice or in a game. You never know when it's going to yeah. come. Right. You got to make sure you had a fallback plan. And for me, the, the the fallback plan was the education. You know what I mean? Because right. I just did not want to go back to to, to the Bronx or you know, wherever I would make my home and be one of those people that told stories about what I could have been or what I should have been. Right. I, I never had a lot of respect for those dudes. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're, like they're just, right. okay, you should have or you could have or you had the potential, but that just means you didn't. So who cared? You know what I'm saying? Like that's all. That was always my thought. Right. Like I got, I got a lot, a lot of cousins, a lot of uncles in my family that always talk about those glory days, and I never wanted to be somebody that was looking at my life in reverse. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to be looking forward to the next thing. I always wanted to evolve. And so when I got to the University of Virginia, I had to make sure I got that degree because that ensured that I had the skill sets that I needed in order to survive if ball didn't work out. So, so second part to that, you got your degree in 04, right? Yep. And you, 
at that point. As a graduate student, yeah. Yeah, you got to graduate. And then was there was there any other schools besides Virginia that you did, that was recruiting you, or you interested in going to besides Virginia, or Virginia was always set for you to go to? So I took a visit to Wake Forest, and I took a visit to Boston College. Um, nice. Wake Forest didn't end up offering me a scholarship at the signing day, but Boston College did. And um, it just didn't feel like the right place for me. Okay. Uh, full, full disclosure, I thought their head coach, Tom O'Brien, was a dick. I didn't find him to be somebody that, that was going to have my best interest at heart. Like, yes. not just the player and what he can do for your program, but making sure you do everything that you can take the boy and develop him into a man. Right. That, that's the part that was a real blessing for me because at Virginia, yep. I had that in George Welsh, who was my head coach my freshman year, and then a lot of the staff that Al Grove brought in, guys like Al Golden, guys like Mike London, I still have a relationship with them today because they actually gave a damn about the person, mm. not just the player. Right. You know what I mean? So and even in my career, man, like, I had great coaches. Bill Parcells was my head coach, and on his staff, he had Casey Rogers and Ty Bowles who are down in Tampa Bay right now. Still got a relationship with those dudes. Tom Coughlin still got a relationship with him and his family to this day. You know what I'm saying? John Harbaugh reaches out every now and again just to make sure I'm good. Like, like those, those were my head coaches. Like, those are people that are still in and around football, but they take the time out to make sure that I'm doing okay. Respect. It, 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 it's, when, when you start talking about business, it's always about relationships. Relationships. You got to start there first. That's because if people don't believe that you're trying to put them in positions where they can be successful, it's not going to be a good relationship. Mm. And that's why we create this podcast. And that's why we're here. And that's why we create a podcast. And that's why we're here doing this because we want to make sure we give voice to the voices, but give flowers when they do. And BG always... And I said that very well, like people like yourself, you know, your story is so, it's so, you know, it's great, but it's also homegrown, right? So um, mm -hmm. I'm just glad it really be part of his energy. So BG, I'm sorry, go ahead. Nah, man, you couldn't have said it better. And, um, you know, I think, I think the way uh, you handle your business as mm -hmm. far as um, the, the things you did in the NFL is also a, a statement to who you are as well. Um, but talk a little bit. We want to, we want to fast forward a little bit to your days in Dallas. Um, that's a historic franchise, you know, uh, uh, kind of an American, you know, franchise. Talk a little bit about playing for the Cowboys. Um, and then talk a little bit about how you, how, your situation on how you moved on to play with the Giants, to play for Eli Manning. You know, he was on the defensive end, but to play with those guys there and to, to kick those guys, bust the pats, you know, in that Super Bowl. Talk, talk a little bit about that experience playing against Tom Brady, and um and those guys over there on that sideline, man, I know I know that had to have been a heck of an experience for you. So just give us a little bit of insight on, on those things. Well, um, playing for the Dallas Cowboys, um, and I use <laughs> I use the way <laughs> framed it in order to articulate it. Playing for the Dallas Cowboys is like playing on Broadway. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're if you're an actor or an actress and you want to be a big star, it's all about Broadway, right? Like if you can if you can go on Broadway and be a hit, you can do it anywhere. Right. Uh, and so that's kind of where Jerry Jones was coming from with the Dallas Cowboys. I remember my pre-draft visit. I sat in his office and he told me all the stories about all of his business ventures, his failures and his successes. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a lot of failures. A lot of people were like, oh, man, Jerry Jones is a hell of a businessman. 
yeah, he's a hell of a businessman, but a lot of that acumen that he got was through trial and error. Trial and he nice. made some mistakes. I mean, he tells a story about how he bought the Dallas Cowboys, and a lot of the money he used was money that he borrowed. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty amazing. Right. But he said, you know, and only the way that Jerry Jones can say, he's like, Kenny, if you're going to play football, you might as well play on Broadway and make no mistake. <laughs> playing for the Dallas Cowboys is playing on the Broadway of the NFL. Nice. So um, I had an opportunity to make my name in this league because the lights are just a little bit brighter. The media coverage is just a little more intense when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys. And, and listen, it's an iconic franchise going back to Tom Landry and and um, all of the greats, Bob Lilly, um, you know, all of the great, great down there, Roger, Roger Starbuck, Don Meredith. Like you can go on and on and on and on. Charlie Waters, like tons of of iconic players. Right. Uh, and so to have an opportunity to step into that um, and, and, and kind of forge my path in the NFL was a tremendous blessing. And then, you know, joining the Giants, um, mm-hmm. I, I honestly didn't think that that was an opportunity that was going to come about just because their defensive line was so nice yeah. at the time that I was the agent. So they had beat up in 2007. We were a 13-win Dallas Cowboys team. They had beat us in the playoffs in 2007 on their way to win a championship, and they won it off the backs of Michael Strahan and Justin Clark and O.T. Umanyor in that pass rush. So when I became a free agent a couple of years later in 2009, like I got a call from my agent, and my agent was like, yo, they want you to come to New York. And I'm like, all right, I don't love the Jets, but, you know, if they offering the most bread, <laughs> and my agent, I'm at the airport, and my agent is like, all right, you're not going to see the Jets, you're going to see the Giants. And I'm like, word? I'm going to see the Giants? <laughs> like, you know, if you grew up in the Bronx, it's like the Giants and Lars Taylor. And yeah, yeah. Like, yo, yo I'm going to the Giants. All right, cool. I was like, we lit. They're going to pay me plus I get a chance to be a part of a defensive line with O.C. and Funk and, mm-hmm. you know, at the time they had Eric Cofield and Damn. Um, they had uh, my man Fred Robbins. Like, I, I was just like, Kiwanuka. I was like, cool. Like, that's that's a no-brainer. I get the, I get the team that can compete for a championship, right. and I get the money that I'm looking for. You right. know, and at the time, I was one of the highest-paid defensive linemen when they signed me. When we won Super Bowl 46, I was the highest-paid defensive lineman on the roster. So I got a chance to come to my hometown to be a part of a championship organization and to get the bag. Like, it was a top How could you – how could you <laughs> – you couldn't characterize my time with the Giants as anything other than a success. Right. Yeah, I mean, you – you won the 2011 uh, Super Bowl. You beat the New England Patriots. You talk about the defensive line and who you had on offense. How was it playing under Tom Coughlin? Different than mm-hmm. playing with Parcells. And the owner at the time was, of course, uh, Jerry Jones. And you have Mara. And you have, I think it was uh, Tish. Tish. Can you talk hey, about Tish. those differences? And then we'll go more into Eli and his work with you. Moving forward. Well, Steve Tish and Jerry Jones are more they are different personality-wise. But Steve is, I mean, I know the Giants have a co-owner structure, but the Mara family is really the family that's out front when it comes to the business of the Giants. Um, They were the original owners of the franchise. They've been passed down throughout their family for almost 100 years. So, like, that's, that's, I guess that would be the, the difference in the organizations because the Maras are more conservative. Um, they don't necessarily want to be out front when it comes to major football decisions. They want to empower their head coach and their general manager in order to do that. 
um, where Jerry Jones has no problem, you know, being out in front in his organization. I think he has a weekly spot that he still does on a local Dallas radio station. Like that's like what owner does that in pro football? <laughs> no other one to my knowledge. No. So yep. um, Jerry's going to be Jerry. You know, he's going to be a showman. That's that's who he is. It served him well because I mean, look at look at what he turned the Dallas Cowboys into. It was a hundred fifty million dollar investment, and now it's yep. valued at seven billion. That's so, the bag. That's yeah, the bag, Chris. That's right. the bag. Yeah, exactly. So, um, is it? Is it? I would say this: the organizations working for them, they're more similar than they are different. And I and I say that because I feel like everybody within those organizations understands their role and they execute their responsibilities. Perfect. And the organizations make sure there's a clear chain of command, like there's a hierarchical structure. Yep. And there's accountability within that. So, like I said, I, I play for really good organizations. Like I played for the Giants, played for the Cowboys, played for the Ravens. Yeah. All of them are really well run. I mean, in 11 years in the NFL, I only had one losing season, and that was my last year with the Ravens where we set the record for number of guys on IR. Like I was on <laughs> IR. I think we had 20 guys on injured reserve. Uh-huh. So, like, that was the only losing season that I had ever been a part of in the NFL. So, I've been blessed to be a part of some really, really good franchises, man. It's hard. It's hard to have sustained success in this league unless you have a good organization, you have good structure behind what you're doing. For sure. That's dope. BG, you got Nah, for sure. And you, being a professional you are, you tap, tap dance a little bit on my next question about um, going, going to the Ravens and playing for them. And then also, we, we wanted to talk a little bit about your transition, transition to being a broadcaster. Um, is that something that um, you did, you studied? Uh, I know you big on education. You went back and got your degree, as Joe spoke upon. Was broadcasting and um, something that you really kind of loved to do or you was inspired to do from young? Or was that something you kind of just like got, got a feel of it and, and you decided that you wanted to do? Talk a little bit about the transition from playing football um, to, to, to doing that. Well, well, being in sports media is something I fell into. Like, I didn't start thinking about that until – maybe three or four years in the NFL. And, um, you know, I started off doing local shows. Like when I was with the Cowboys, like they would pull me in to do like a little local radio show or, you know, I'd host a radio show at a local steakhouse. Like my first foray into media was doing a weekly radio show at Del Frisco's. In Addison, Texas. And, and it's just one of those things like, yo, come through, we'll be a couple bucks, and we'll take care of your meal and whoever's with you. Nice. And so it was like, all right, I'm going to do it on a Monday night. We're going to kick it Monday anyway, going out to the clubs. So we might as well eat good, might as well get paid on the way to the club. So that's that's kind of how, how it started, man. And then um, I realized that I was, you know, I, it came a little more naturally to me than it did some of the other guys in the locker room. And so it was just one of those things. I was like, okay, maybe this is a skill that I can cultivate. So in the off seasons, I decided I was going to try to do as many media appearances as I can. Like they call you to Bristol to go to ESPN to do the car wash. I would go do that. Like I used to jump on NBC sports pro football talk with Mike Florio did that. Um, when I came to New York, I had a Tuesday, Tuesday spot on the Michael K show. And instead of calling in, I actually went in studio. Yes. Nice. Yes. That's right. Yep, yep. Nice. Like stuff like that. And I was just like, all right, let me, let me go ahead and try to develop this skill and in the process, make the relationships 
that uh, that I would potentially need in order to have a career in this. And that's a piece of advice that I would give to every young kid. Make your friends before you need them. Mm. Like, call people when you need stuff. Make sure you have a relationship with them before you haven't asked. It's always important to remember. But, um, like, that was just my, that was my mentality. It was like, I want to stay around. Once I got into the NFL, I was like, I love football. I love sports. Let me see if I can stay around this for the rest of my life. If I can create a career and spin it off of what I'm doing on the field. And that's exactly what it is. Now, the frustrating part about it is, you know, media is not necessarily the meritocracy that football is. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? In football, it's like you keep what you kill. Like you go out there, you dominate, you're going to get paid well. In the media industry, it doesn't necessarily work like that. You know, there's more politics involved. There's more, you know, again, when it comes to, you know, relationships, you got to have the right relationships in order to, you know, move up in terms of growing your platforms. And so that's the part of it that's, you know, that I don't necessarily love. Yeah. But, you know, having the opportunity to jump on the airwaves and talk about sports, it's a dream job, man. It really is. So, Chris, I got to ask you two, two solid questions. I need you to talk to me from a player standpoint. I know your, your profession is in broadcasting and you do that so well. You was up and close playing against Tom Brady, who was considered the GOAT. Uh, is he as advertised as the media proclaims him to be? And I have a second part to that question. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's the greatest football player of all time. I mean, I, I have a story that I tell about Tom Brady, and the thing that impresses me the most is not his arm talent or, um, you know, his, his football IQ, but it's just his physical toughness. Now, that's a tough dude. I remember in 2007, the undefeated Patriots came down to Texas Stadium to play the undefeated Cowboys, yes. and they left with a win. But it, what makes it memorable for me was our defensive coordinator called an all-out blitz. And as an interior lineman, you know, I can count on one hand the amount of times that I was cut loose or let free in a blitz, like where nobody blocked me. Gotcha. And this just happened to be one of them times. Mm. And I ran full speed and hit Tom Brady <laughs> as hard as I've ever hit any other human being on the planet. Like, in my career playing football, I hit him as hard as I've ever hit anybody else. Gotcha. And um, I remember after I hit him, I got up, I was all excited, I was walking back to the huddle, and I was telling, I think I was telling Jay Ratliff, I was like, dog, he's not getting up. I, I just knocked the hell out of him. There's no way, there's no way he's getting up. And, um, oh, he, he, he tapped me on my shoulder, and he pointed back, and I saw, I think it was Matt Light there, left tackle, picking up Tom Brady, and I, like Tom sat on the ground, he shook his head, and then he, Matt Light extended his arm and Beatty grabbed it and got up. Right. And from that moment on, he had my ultimate respect. Like, I was just like, if I can hit a dude that hard and he can get up, then, then, then yeah, there's something to this dude. Yeah, that doesn't mean I'm not going to try to knock his ass off the next time. <laughs> but he had my respect right. as, as a physically tough guy. And I think with football, that's where it starts. Because the nature of football is moving another grown man against his will. Mm. And so when you, you when you see that kind of toughness, yeah. when you see that in another player, you, you you can't help but have respect for it. Right. So so talk about respect, uh, and you're a man of great respect. You play with you know Eli Manning, and there's been conversations about him as a player, him as a teammate, him as a captain, all that stuff mm -hmm. in the media. 
Uh, in your opinion, is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer? If so, or if not, why? Oh, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. He's an Hall of Famer. And and I know people will go through the regular season stats and exactly. talk about the receptions that he's thrown. And, well, you know, he'll go three or four years without going to the playoffs. Okay. If that's if that's the, the hill you want to die on, no problem. <laughs> but when you talk about being a Hall of Famer, to me, a part of that conversation has to be your competitive greatness. Being at your best when your best was required. Absolutely. And Eli Manning had not one, but two Super Bowl runs where he came at a wild card weekend. Mm. The first one, they started on the road in Tampa. Yep. Beat the Hawks, came to our place, a 13-win team in the Dallas Cowboys, beat us, went to Green Bay, beat them, mm. and then beat the undefeated New England Patriots. And had one of the most iconic plays, throwing that ball to David Tyree to set up the go-ahead throw to Plaxico Burris. Correct. Yeah. Okay, that's Super Bowl run number one. <laughs> With Super Bowl run number two, we beat the Atlanta Falcons at our place because yep. we hosted against one division. Then we ended up we ended up going to Green Bay, a 15-win team led by Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Beat the brakes off of them. That game wasn't even close. I want to say the score was like 37 to 20. It wasn't even as close as the final score said it was. Right. Mm. We went out to San Francisco, and I watched Eli Manning take probably the worst beating I've ever seen a quarterback in the NFL ever take and drag his team into overtime and beat the 49ers Jeez. on our way to beating the Patriots again. And oh, by the way, the go-ahead score – was on a drive where Eli Manning made probably what I would characterize as another top 10 throw in Super Bowl history, the throw, the dime that he had to Mario Manningham down the sideline. Right. Mm. To midfield. So, I mean, like, like, like you can't take those plays yeah, away. Yeah. And they're not, they're not that many quarterbacks that were capable of making those types of plays yeah. with that type of moment. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Like it's one thing to throw a dime. But to throw a dime when your team is behind in the Super Bowl in late in the fourth quarter? Right. Come on, man. Give that man his respect. And why doesn't Give he get me. his respect, Chris? In your opinion, why doesn't he get his respect the way that the way that you put it so eloquently of his respect for the game? I think a, I think a lot of it goes back to Eli Manning dictating where he got drafted. Like he got drafted yeah. by the charge and he was like, I don't want to play there. I'm not playing there. And he had enough juice to pull that move off because his daddy was a hell of a football <laughs> player. His brother at the time yep. was arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. So everybody knew, like, Eli Manning was as surefire as surefire can get. Yep. Not every player can dictate to an NFL team like that. I think a lot of people were hating on Easy because he had the ability to be able to do that. Yeah, BG. Yeah, for sure. Um, talk to us a little bit about working with the ESPN family. Um, I know it's a... It's a you know exciting family to be a part of a, a great a great organization. Talk a little bit about being with them, working with uh, Rothenberg and all those guys. So talk, give us a little insight on what goes on daily with them and and um, how, how does it feel to kind of be a part of part of that great uh, family that, uh, with ESPN. Well, I mean ESPN is a good company to work for. I mean they're I I, I don't even know like I guess the best way to put it is there, there is no 
no shop that's bigger than ESPN when it comes to sports media. Facts. Right. Like they, they are the king. Like they're the worldwide leader in sports. We say that for a reason because it's true. Nobody has the kind of reach that ESPN has across all of the different platforms, whether we're talking about the linear side with TV or we're talking about radio and long form, like digital too. Like nobody has the footprint that ESPN has. Right. So from that standpoint, it's a great place to be. It's a great place to work if you love sports. Um, the downside of that is it's a big company. Right. So, so some pressure. sometimes things get lost in the sauce. But, um, you know, it's cool, man. Working with Rick and Dave, um, those guys, they're professionals. Um, sometimes it gets a little tough right. because, again, you, you're talking about being in those types of spaces. And sometimes people not necessarily understanding your perspective and appreciating it for what it is. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't that doesn't always happen. And so it's frustrating when you have those types of moments, but you try to work past them and you try to find, you know, opportunities to have common ground so you can have a conversation and you can try to engage them and meet them where they're at. So um, that's what it is. You know, no job is without its challenges. No job is without its downsides. There is no perfect job. Right. Uh, but, you know, in terms of what I do, I love what I do. I love going into the studio and cutting the microphone on and getting, being able to tell New Yorkers my perspective mm -hmm. on what's happening in the landscape of sports in the city. And I think nobody else should be able to do it because you're from New York, from the Bronx. And um, yeah, if I can't do it, I, if I can't do it, who can, right? Who can, who can, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, right in like, New York and won a Super Bowl. So if I can't do it, who can? That's right. You know what I mean? So, and I, I don't want to ask you, do it is, is can we can we expect your own show come coming soon? Um, or some do you have something work on the works or um, can we expect something that you that you got lined up? Because I, I think man, like your personality is super big. Um, you, you you're passionate and um, you, you speak from a presence of somebody who not only talks but played it. You know, I, mm -hmm. I have I have a, a big respect for the, for people who are on the broadcasting field that actually played the game um, yes. because it's, it's different to to, to being an uh, analyst. But when you ain't play it, you know, you, you really don't know the logistics of what goes in and out, out of the lines and in between the lines. So yeah, uh, do you got anything cooking up, man? Well, listen, and I'm always trying to evolve as a talent. I'm always chasing after a larger platform. And yeah. so um, we, we are working on some things. And, you know, what comes about with that, you know, um, so I'm, I'm excited for what the future holds, man. I'm excited about what's going to happen in 2021 and beyond. With my career, um, you know, it just, I got good representation. I'm in a good place right now. Um, and like I said before, if you want to talk about sports, ESPN is the place you want to be. So I'm excited about what the company has in store moving forward. I'm not going to let you go that easy because I know I'm not, <laughs> not going to be PC with you because you my dog. I got, uh, I, got, I got a question from a fan. Dif what's up? Difference playing against Eli Manning and against Peyton Manning? Mm. Um, I mean, both of those guys are going to be right in the middle of the pocket, so easy okay. targets to set. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Eli, okay this. Eli is going to hold that ball a lot longer than Peyton. Yeah. Like, yeah. Peyton's going to get it out of his hands. Peyton's going to look at the coverage pre-snap, and, you know, you can try to disguise it, but he knows what coverage you're playing, and he's going to know exactly what he wants to do with the football. Like, when he hits his back foot in his drop, that ball is coming out. Yeah. With Eli Manning, he's going to hold it a little bit longer. He's going to give you more opportunities to get after him. As a matter of fact, when I signed with the New York Giants at the time, 
over half my career sacks to that point right. were on Eli Manning. <laughs> <laughs> there was a big part of why Jerry Reese brought me to the Giants to keep me off of Eli's ass. But, <laughs> but um, so both of them are big-time players. I'll say this. If I was playing in a playoff game, yeah. I'd much rather play against Peyton than Eli. Gotcha. I feel like Eli, when it comes to that clutch factor, he has that in spades. You know what I'm saying? That's the one thing that he has over Big Bro. Got you. Mm. So um, in essence of me and BG on this platform and this podcast is all about synergy and energy. You have a great relationship with, with DiPetro and Rothenberg. Can you share with us and our fans in terms of your, your lineage with them and how well you work together on your morning show and how is it working with those two wonderful individuals? Well, it's cool, man. So when I got into this, um, I started off in 2014 when I was with the Ravens doing a phoner with Alan Hahn and Rick DiPietro yep. on the show Then Hahn and Humpty. That's right. And that graduated into me just coming into studio when I was in town in the offseason. And then when I got done playing with the Ravens in 2015, 2015 my last playing, so the offseason of 2016, you know, they asked me to come in the studio. I think it was Ryan Hurley that reached out and asked if I would come in the studio. So I came in the studio with Han Humpty and Bill Daughtry, who's still one of my mentors to this day. Bill Daughtry, my and, man. Woo, salute yeah, King, yes. Great dude, great dude. dude yep. So at the end of the show, because I sat in with them in the studio the entire show, yeah. at the end of the show, Rick and Allen looked over at me and said, what you doing tomorrow? And I said, I ain't, I ain't got nothing planned. They was like, yo, you want to come back tomorrow? And so, you know, I came back tomorrow. I came back the next one. <laughs> and they were like, well, so how about you just keep coming back until they give you a key card? And that's exactly what happened. Nice. I kept doing the show to the point. It was like, all right, Tim McCarthy and Ryan Hurley were like, we're going to offer you a contract. Started out doing, normally just doing weekends. But I always sat in with Han and Humpty. And then I want to say like the fall of 20. Matter of fact, it was it was this time of year, 2016, mm -hmm. where they gave me the contract to do Han and Humpty full time. Nice. And that was because that's when Bill Daughtry decided to retire. Yep. And he said, if you're going to walk away, I want you to step in my place. And that's exactly what happened. So, um, you know, Bill gave me an opportunity. He was just like, look, you got all the tools, respect the craft, and I'll be there to help you where I can. And he's, and he's done that. And, um, you know, it's been cool. Like, it's been good ever since. And then Dave came along a couple of years ago yeah. and just rounded out the show. You know what I mean? Because Dave is like the quirky sports fan, <laughs> lunatic. Right. Uh, but, but his sports knowledge in terms of knowing – facts and dates and rosters and all this stuff like it's second to none nice. so having that 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 wealth of knowledge in the studio with us as we talk about our perspectives from the player standpoint from the locker room standpoint i do think it makes for a really good show like we have really good synergy together um so it's been good man it's been good Hey, listen, you're my morning ride every single morning, man. You guys crack me up. And, and DiPietro got a weird voice, and he's always always uh, defensive on certain things. He's a big hockey fan. I know Rothenberg is yeah. a major, major, uh, like a nerd in the, in the sports industry. Yeah, um, absolutely. He is, yeah, absolutely. right? And then you just balance it out. Like, you're just like, you that lit person. Like, yo, what's up, man? You, we're, not, we're not doing this. We're not doing that. We're talking about this. And you kind of balance it out. So, yeah. 
got to be the adult in the room, man. <laughs> yeah. So, so with that being said, BG, it's time for Rapid Fire with Chris Kansas. It's time for the corner. We put right. you in the corner. We're going to put you in the corner. All right. This is how it goes. So what we do, we, we drafted up a couple of the Rapid Fire questions to get to know you. And it's either right. one, one word answers or you can dive into it because we don't want to let you go. And then at that uh, point, you know, we're going to wrap the show up and then we're going to let everybody know how to follow you and how to really follow, you know, you on, on social media. And we'll go with that. Okay. All right, sounds good. Yeah, B, you yep. got the first opportunity. Yeah, so so Chris, man, you know you from the BX, man. You know we, we don't want you to get in trouble, but <laughs> this question, this question right here, man, is um, who, who's your favorite uh, hip hop artist, and what's your favorite hip hop album mm. of all time? Mm. Ooh, oh, man, remember, remember you, remember you, BX. Come on, Chris. Yo, 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 this is this is not easy, man. <laughs> this is, yo, this is this is not easy. Um, favorite hip hop artist. You could do hip hop, rap, or R and B, whatever your genre yeah, is. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, like I, I, I'd have to do rap, right? You got, you got to do hip hop. You got to be a Right? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. If it wasn't for the Bronx, I mean, I, I grew up. You know, my, I got an older brother. Um, you know, he grew up in the in the the seventies and eighties in New York. So I definitely, it was definitely a lot of Run DMC. Um, it was it was painful, you know. Eric B and Rakim, he yes, rock, real smooth. Like those are like that's how I grew up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. KRS One. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I, I guess I'm I'm more like the 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 newer like the '90s was really my coming of age when it came to rap music. Yep. Like, so it was like it was a lot of Nas, Empire State of Mind. It was Dead Presidents, Jay Z, Reasonable Doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that was, it was Busta Rhymes. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it was just like it was a lot of that. You know what I mean? Try call quest. Yes. Like that was like that's what uh, that's what, so if you're asking me to to parse it down, Tupac, I gotta give give a shout out to Tupac. Like I'm talking about like the the the, the stuff that he did, like when he first yeah. jumped into the scene, like yeah. Tupacalypse, yep. Yep. you know what I'm saying? Like that kind of stuff. Like when he had I get around, like that's the Tupac <laughs> that I kind of fell in love with. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like that was that was me, like that was my that was my error. I can't pinpoint just one okay. particular artist because That's beautiful. that wouldn't be fair. You know what I'm saying? I, I right. respect I respect the art form and I respect, you know, the, you know, the, the people that had that New York influence too much to just say it was one person. I love it, Chris. Okay, right, Biggie Smalls, you know what I'm saying? Biggie Smalls, that goes right out there. Oh, yeah. Guy, like, everybody was bumping that. So, yeah. All right. It's my turn. Best sneaker cleats to wear on the field for you. What were those? Oh, the Mike Vicks. So the Mike Ooh. Vicks, I want to say those were like 2006. The mm. one that had the strap over the middle of the shoe, like we we laced them up to join that. Mm. Like, like the Mike Vicks was hard, man. Like the Mike Vicks was crazy. Um, the Jordan 11s, that was crazy. Um, I would say the Dion's too, like the second Dion's. Like those, when you had those cleats, those yeah. were like, those were stupid. Like you had, uh, that was stupid. Those would be my top three. Got you. Again, B. Um, what's your favorite NFL city to visit uh, pre-COVID? You know what I'm saying? What's your favorite Houston, NFL Texas. city? Houston, Texas, not even close. <laughs> I like Houston for a lot H- of years. H- like Houston. So, I mean, like Houston is always a good time. When I played in Dallas, it was a 45-minute flight from Love Field to Houston Hobby on that Southwest. And that was one of those places like Monday Monday evening, if we wanted something to do and we got tired of the local thing, hop a flight, go down to Houston, hang out with some of the guys that I knew down there that played ball. Like, that's what we did. 
No. I also had a homie that went to Texas Southern. He started at Virginia and then transferred to Texas Southern. So I got a little bit of that experience with the Tiger Walk and you know all of that stuff and Max's on Fridays and you know like, like, I, like I know the I don't know tell the, too much, Chris. I don't want to you know I, we don't tell. I knew too I much. listen, man. Houston, <laughs> I'm saying this as a city. Houston was on fire in 2004, 2005, 2006. Mm. Like, you had to be there to experience it. Like All Star Game in Houston, 2006. Wow. Oh, that was crazy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Chris crazy. is reminiscing oh. over here, BG. He's reminiscing crazy. OD. Y'all started it. I know. <laughs> All right, well, we got three more. We got three more. Um, this I want to ask you this. I'm asking Chris Cancy, top five defensive linemen oh, of all time. Oh, he said that one. For you. Your top five defensive linemen. Ooh. For you. All right. Um, all right, so anytime you start talking about defensive line play, it's going to start with Reggie White. Oh, I had a chance to meet the late, great Reggie White. To me, he was the most dominant defensive player I'd ever seen. And right behind him is Lawrence Taylor. Yes, um, I got to put Bruce Smith on that list because he's the all-time sack leader. Um, who else have I got to put there? Defensive lineman. Deacon Jones. Got to throw respect to Deacon Jones. The head slap, he bust a lot of eardrums back in the day. <laughs> um, who else would I put? Chris Canty? Oh. No? Chris Canty top five? No? <laughs> nah. nah. Um, who, would I, who would I put? Who else am I going to put on that all-time list? Oh, boy. This is why we call the corner. I know, I know. I'm, you're trying to box me into a corner, but I'm not gonna let you. I'm not gonna let you. Uh, uh, let me think here. Um, gotta give, gotta give love to this Steeler great, Kevin Green. Mm. Kevin Green, nastiest, like get after it type of dudes. We're gonna start talking about defensive linemen, guys coming off the edge, rushing the back. Kevin Green's on that list as well. Salute. That will round out my top five. BG, go ahead. I mean, I got to switch it up, man. You know, because Joe, <laughs> Joe, 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 Joe took my, my fault, Joe, I'm going to ask that question back. I'm sorry. All right. What you got for me? Top, top, top. Give me your top three favorite. It, it don't got to be football, but favorite broadcasters or analysts of all time. Mm. Oh, man. So I grew up watching Inside the NBA with a Saturday mornings, man, like. And plus, Marvin Scott played football too. Yes, like, he did. yes, he did. To have that, and then be able to cross over from playing football to being known as a basketball. Like that is just that's unbelievable. Um, Mike Breen does the mix. Yes, yeah. Like, got to give big love yes. to Mike Breen. Yes. Um, and then I, this is going. I know I'm gonna do this because this guy was one of my teammates, but I actually think he's. One of the best in the game, and he's going to go down as an all-time great, Tony Romo. Yeah. Like, Tony, Tony Romo is taking on the football game before it happens. Like, he's got to put the ball in that booth with that blue CBS blazer. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Tony does his thing, man. So, if you're asking me who my top three were all-time, like, that would be – those would be the guys that I would think, like, these are the guys that I would love. Like, even if it's a terrible game, I'll sit down and watch the game because they're broadcasting it. Right. They're, Got you. I got two more, and then, uh, you know, I'll, I'll ask, your favorite player of all time that you played with or against? Oh, oh man. Favorite player that I – okay, so let, let's, let's – uh, No that's... position, just 
you a team that has to, you know. It's like picking my favorite rapper. Like I can't okay. like, uh, like a couple. But but it would be I gotta say this, like Terrell Suggs, like mm-hmm. everybody knows his personality, but mm-hmm. like that's a stand-up dude. Like I know like everybody got problems, everybody got their own issues. But Sis is a stand-up dude. Like, he's a dude's dude. You know what I mean? Like, I have the utmost respect for him. But, but beyond that, like, he's just a really good teammate. Like, to me, when you talk about the favorite guys that I played with, like, guys that were really good teammates, guys that you know would go out of their way to make sure you good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Jay Ratliff, another one of those dudes, man. I played with him in Dallas. All-pro nose tackle, pro bowl nose tackle. Um, crazy as hell. Crazy as hell. I mean, I, I can tell you a story about one time with Jerry Jones tie for him, right. and not too many people are willing to choke an owner. He's one of them guys. He's a little bit different. Um, but he's the guy that's like your best friend or your worst enemy. And he just, you know, he he and I, you know, we won that 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 same wave. Like, like we got each other. So he's one of those dudes that I would put on that list. Another dude that I put on this that list who's a really good dude. Jason Pierre-Paul. Mm. Jason Pierre-Paul, and a lot of Giants fans didn't appreciate him while he was here. Yep. Right. Uh, but but JPP, really good dude. And still balling to this day down in Tampa, too. He's still doing his thing. Absolutely right. Like, right. That's he right. is a really, really good dude. So like when you start talking about the favorite guys that I play with, O.C. Yumiyora, too. O.C. Yumiyora is another one of them dudes, man. Stand-up dude, always looking out for you. Even when you don't necessarily look out for him, that's O.C. Yumiyora. Like a lot of people talk about Justin Tuck and they talk about Kiwi and Giants defense, Michael Strahan. OC Yumiyor does not get the credit and respect that he deserves for what he did to that franchise. OC Yumiyor is the Mariano Rivera of pass rushers. Mm. Like you need somebody to close out a game, end the half, end the game, third down, gotta have a fact, he's gonna go get it. Nice. But behind that, off the field, stand up dude. Hey Chris, man, we could be on all night, man, and and I want to tell you, no, 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 I want to let you know this. With you, man, and Brian, you've been great too. I mean, we're just getting to know each other, but this is awesome, man. Oh, listen, I want to tell you, you made my night. I've always had, you know, great conversation with you on off the air. Uh, I'm a big fan of you on off the court. You're a solid dude. Uh, I appreciate you. Uh, I know you came to the tournament a few times and supported me and to my brother and what we do. Uh, you're a class act, brother, and I want to make sure you get your flowers tonight because we truly appreciate you, what you did for New York, what you did for your city, and what you did for your, for your career. So salute to you, champ. Uh, before I let you go, let everybody know where to follow you on social media so they can stay in, con- stay in contact with you. I'm Chris Candy 99 on all social media platforms, so come check me out on that. Um, you know, check me out. And if you send me a DM or you send me a message, I'm going to respond to it. If you ask me on Twitter... Talking crazy. I'm going to come back with you with that even <laughs> ready for it. But um, listen, man, I do it for the fans. I-, I love the opportunity to talk about sports and share my perspective. And, um, you know, when you follow me, when we interact, when we have those engagements, that's meaningful to me. So um, I-, I encourage all the fans out there, if you love sports, go ahead and give me a follow. We'll get into it. No doubt. Well, listen, Chris, anything that, that me and BG can do on our platform beyond, we're here for you. We're one call away. Like I said, everything I told you earlier, you're a stand-up dude, and I got mad love for you. So I appreciate you coming on the Commission Corner podcast tonight, and I wish you all success moving forward. All right, man. Thanks. Appreciate you. Absolutely, baby. Appreciate it. Love you, boy. Thank you. Uh, love you too, man. Right. Right.